0: Okay, so we've been, the uh, last couple of weeks, we've looked at the story of, of Abram and Sarai. Uh, we're going to continue that, and then for the next couple of weeks, we'll do that uh, again. Uh, so again, if you want to read ahead and sort of see what's coming uh, in the story of uh, who, the people who are now called Abraham and Sarah, we'll get into that in a little bit, um, feel free to do that because it's a, it's a fascinating uh, fascinating read. Uh, so anyway, uh, this morning we're looking at Genesis 18, uh, 1 through 15. Genesis 18, 1 through 15. Before we, we read, let's pray uh, together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that we can gather together here in this space, literally in this space again. Thank you. Uh, in this uh, virtual space that we have um, we're just really grateful Uh, and as we as we open your word uh, God we ask that somehow some way you would you would speak to us Um, come Holy Spirit fill our hearts and our minds and show us teach us change us mold us in Jesus name Amen. So Genesis 18, starting at verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood there near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yeah, you did laugh. We'll go that far. Lots going on there. Um, But particular attention is paid to the laugh. The fact that Sarah is laughing, and then they're like, why did she laugh? I didn't laugh. Yeah, you laughed. What's the laugh? Why did she laugh? That's interesting, isn't it? Well, we'll get there. First, I want to say this, you know, these, and I think this is important, these narratives that we find in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, but both Testaments, um, they're not just really cool ancient stories that we like to read and have fun reading. Uh, We think, we think they're more than that. We believe they're more than that. We believe that these stories are wonderfully complex, multi-layered really pieces of artwork that are that are divinely inspired god breathed says the new testament about these words which is which is to say that god had a hand or a voice we might say in putting these stories together god helped put them together they're divinely inspired which is also to say that when we read them today god might actually have something to say to us something that something that might change us transform us maybe even create something new in us because that's what god's word god's voice does we know this from genesis chapter one when there was nothing and then god said let there be light and then he said let there be a whole bunch of other things and all of creation was born right so god's god's voice god's word is is powerful right it's active but there's also something else that we can say about these ancient stories that I think is, is equally as important. These narratives, these stories, are also they are profoundly human. Right? These are real people with their real experiences with one another in the world and, and their relationship with the divine. These are profoundly human stories, which, which means we can connect with them on a deeply human level, like emotionally, spiritually, relationally, psychologically. We can connect, and of course when we connect to them in that way as well, these stories can be, they can change us, they can transform us, they can maybe even create something new inside of us. And so this morning I'm really just going to retell the story, and I'm going to hope that God shows up, and through the retelling of this story, somehow God speaks. I'm hoping that we'll connect with this story on a deeply human level, and some way, through a mixture of those two things, I'm, I'm really hoping that, that God will change us and transform us, and maybe something new will be created inside of us. Really, whenever I get up, or anybody like me gets up and talks about the Bible, that's what we're hoping happens, right? So let's get to the story already dude so here we meet it's it's the hottest hardest time of the day and for this 99 year old guy you know work is impossible at least if he wants to keep living dude is 99 so the only relief from the heat is a little nap in the cool of the shade so he goes under one of the great oaks of mamra and he sort of reclines there He's probably a little bit drowsy as he's looking off in the horizon and seeing like the heat waves sort of go up and down on the horizon. Notice, though, that it's Abraham we meet in the heat of the day. So I'm going to sort of fill in some gaps here from where we left off last week to where we are today. Notice it's Abraham we meet in the heat of the day. It's not Abram anymore last time we talked it was abram leaving his homeland to go to a land that god would show him it's been 24 long years since that happened and before they left their homeland god had promised him some pretty big things god had promised the 75 year old childless abram that he would make him into a great nation what do you need if you are going to be a great nation what do you need well among other things you just need kids you need children if god is going to make you into a great nation you need children 24 years no children god also promised before they left that he would bless him that he would give him what he need that you give him what he needs that he would give him everything he needs and that they then this nation is going to bless all peoples on earth. Those are some pretty big promises, right? So in faith, Abram and Sarai came out of retirement to work for a new boss, the the creator of the universe. They packed up their U-Haul. They hooked it up to the Silverado that they had probably, and they went off to literally God only knows where because he said, go to the land I will show you. Don't know where they're going, right? Only thing is, is after they left with these promises of God given to them, all you know what seemed to break loose. Like these people, they just couldn't catch a break. Nothing seemed to go their way. All they were trying to do was do their best to follow orders from their new boss, and everything seemed to go wrong. All kinds of things started to get in the way. The first thing that went wrong happened when they decided to stay in Egypt for a little while, because there was a famine in the land. When they get to Egypt, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh uh, looked at Sarai and was like, I like that girl, right? And so this made Abram afraid because he thought that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, if he found out that Sarai was married, well, what would he do? the most powerful man in the world, what would he do? Well, let's just get rid of the husband, right? So he felt like his life was in danger. So he goes to Sarai, and he tells Sarai, hey, when, when you talk about me, pretend you're my sister. Right? So she does. Eventually, Pharaoh finds out about it, gets hopping mad, and almost offs the both of them. Fortunately, they escape by the skin of their teeth, and they're okay. So that's the first thing that went wrong. The second thing that goes wrong uh, was when they finally actually made it to the promised land. Right? So their nephew Lot and his family, they stopped and had a discussion with each other, and then they approached Abram and were like, look, we've got to figure this out. This land, it's not, the, it's not big enough for the two of us. We've got to divide things up a little bit just so we know who's who, who's what, and all that kind of stuff. And so Abram sort of agrees. And then Lot, for some reason, gets first dibs. So what part of the land does he get? Well, he chooses the nice, lush, fertile soil down by the Jordan River. And that left Abram and Sarai with nothing but a barren wasteland. Yeah, good luck growing crops and food for your nation that you're supposedly going to build even though you have no kids. Good luck growing food. It's not going to happen there. So things are going royally bad. The next thing that went wrong was probably the worst for all sorts of different reasons. Abram and Sarai found out that Sarai wasn't wasn't going to be able to have kids. She wasn't going to be able to bear children. That meant that even though God had chosen him to be the father of a great nation, it didn't look like he had any chance to become a father at all. So the two of them sort of got together and they hatched a plan to make sure that God was actually going to keep his promises to them. Have you ever done this? You're going you're gonna to do something to make sure that God does what God said God was going to do. You've probably done that if you really think about it long enough. So Sarai went to Abram and said, hey, I, I think you should sleep with my, with my slave woman, Hagar. And he did. Now, Hagar was a slave. She's, she's property She belonged to Sarai. And because she's a slave, that makes us wonder whether or not what happened between Abram and Hagar was exactly consensual. Let's just say it like it is. Hagar didn't have a choice. And the result of that was a son. They named him Ishmael. Talk more about those two later. But this only th- made things worse because Sarai became jealous of Hagar and Abram's son Ishmael. She couldn't give him what he now had, and everything was a mess. Now, at this point in the story, we're almost to what we read this morning. At this point in the story, it seems that God gets tired of Abram claiming sovereignty over his own life, so he, he decides to step in and he's going to shake things up a little bit. So God visits Abram and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Then he changes Abram's name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, the father of many. That's interesting. Apparently, the past 24 years of misery, nothing going right, everything going wrong, for Abram had sort of lowered him enough so that he was no longer Abram, exalted father. Perhaps he was a bit more humble now and ready to get on with what God wanted to do and that was to make him the father of many, Abraham. So it's Abraham we meet in the heat of the day under the great oaks of Mamre, not Abram seems that the journey they had taken for like 24, 24 years since God had promised him all of this stuff, 24 years had changed Abram into Abraham, changed him significantly, forged a new identity. He became a new person. And that's interesting to me. I think it's important for us to recognize that Maybe from God's perspective, the thing that's just as important as the destination is what we become while we're on the way to wherever it is we're going. Who are you becoming? Apparently, things like character and integrity had been formed in him because of all the experiences that he had. Abraham was now a lot less full of himself and now ready to get on with what God wanted. He was going to be Abraham, the father of many. Now we get to where we are this morning. So these three strangers surprise him as he's napping under the tree. And Abraham does what any good person would do, right? He, he tries to be as absolutely hospitable as he can be. He says, sit down, take a load off, I'm going to get some water, I'll wash your feet so that you can be all cleansed and ready for the next leg of your journey, I'll give you a Good bite to eat so that your bellies are full. And then he, he and Sarah, they sort of rush around a little bit. And while they're, while they're then eating, one of them asks Abraham where Sarah is. And he's like there in the tent. And then things get a little bit crazy. God actually speaks through one of the strangers. I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. She's old. She's well past childbearing years. She's well advanced in years. I will surely return to you about this time next year. and Your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And as Sarah eavesdrops from behind the opening of the tent, you can imagine a deep hurt being pinched inside of her. She's been trying to have a child for 75 years. And now this stranger is sort of mocking her. Like it's inconceivable, literally. It's impossible. It's, it can't happen. She's old. Abraham's old. And she covers her mouth and she stifles a laugh. Why is she laughing? What is happening there? Was she all of a sudden filled with joy because all of a sudden she was going to have a baby or is there something else going on here? Is there another kind of laugh? There's a guy named Frederick Beekner who writes about this story and what he writes is just too good for me not to share it with you. So that's what I'm going to do right now. Listen to what he says. He says they're laughing at the idea of a baby's being born in the geriatric ward and Medicare's picking up the tab. They're laughing because the angel not only seems to believe it, but seems to expect them to believe it too. They're laughing because with part of themselves they do believe it. They're laughing because with another part of themselves they know it would take a fool to believe it. They're laughing because laughing is better than crying and maybe not even all that different. They're laughing because if by some crazy chance it should just happen to come true, then they would really have something to laugh about. They're laughing at God and with God and they're laughing at themselves too because laughter has that in common with weeping. No matter what the immediate occasion is of either your laughter or your tears, the object of both ends up being yourself and your own life. Ah, oh, if I could write like that. Two kinds of laugh. Did you catch that? The first is a skeptical laugh. It's the laugh of a cynic. It's the the laugh we laugh when things aren't funny, when they're really not funny. It's a laugh we laugh because we don't want to cry, even though deep down inside of us, really, we're weeping. On one level, I think this is Sarah's laugh. She's been trying to have a child for 75 years, and now this stranger is mocking her. And we know this laugh, too. You've laughed this laugh. This laugh is the laugh of an alcoholic after getting home from an AA meeting. He's sitting at home, now drunk on his couch, thinking to himself, I'll never get over this thing. It's the laugh of a father who walks in the door and says to his family after getting home from work, they laid me off again. That's two times in the last two years. Can you believe it? After hearing from from the doctor that her cancer is no longer in remission, it's the laugh of a patient who says, I always knew it would come back. You laugh that kind of laugh. We've all laughed that kind of laugh. On one level, I think that's the kind of laugh we're talking about here, and and I actually think it's a good laugh. It's it's a healthy laugh. It's a healthy laugh because, because it's just an honest one. Honest because it acknowledges the simple fact that tragedy absolutely happens to all of us, no matter who we are. Given how vulnerable we human beings find ourselves and how messed up the world really is, tragedy is bound to happen. It's inevitable. It's part of what it means to be a human being, even for people of faith. But on the other level, I think Sarah's laugh is a laugh of surprise. I think she laughs because of the surprise and the impossibility of it all. Like, the stranger who appeared in front of their door under the great oaks of Mamre turned out to be an angel. Like, who could have predicted that? Who could have seen that coming? Who could have made that happen? And the announcement of God, then, that she was going to have a baby, have a son, even, was just the reversal of all the tragedy that we find in the world. They're going to have a baby after all. It's inconceivable. It's crazy. It's just gift. It's pure grace. And when you really think about it, grace is a laughing matter. The kind of pure joy giggle that comes from a, from a baby that makes everyone else in the room giggle right along with. Nine months after 91-year-old Sarah's first laugh, she laughs again as she holds her little son Isaac in her arms. Isaac. You know what that means? It means he laughs. What else? I mean, think about Abraham's story up to this point. Think about what a mess it was. God using old, an old codger like Abraham to start the lineage that would give birth to a nation that would give birth to the Savior of the world. God using a guy like that to do that? Come on, man, that's funny. God using a murderer like Moses who who couldn't figure out how to stand up in front of people and talk god using a guy like that to to liberate the people of god and take them in take them across the red sea god using a guy like that come on man that's funny if you look at all the stories in the bible that god uses regular human beings to do anything at all is pretty hilarious like when you when i think about some of the people i walked around with When I was in high school and some of my friends, you know, when they find out that, oh, I'm actually a pastor and I preach every week and I'm planting a church and holy cow, they're going to think to themselves, maybe even say out loud, oh, come Aaron, that's funny if you'd only known him when he was in high school. And then there's the biggest laugh of all, the laugh that fills the universe. Evil thought it had won. Jesus was murdered by the cruelest instrument of death in the world at the time, the cross. Jesus locked away in a tomb, and then three days later, no one saw it happen, no one saw it coming, but I think I know what Jesus was doing when he walked out of the tomb. What do you think he did? He wakes up from death. He walks out of the tomb puts his hands up to heaven, and lets out the biggest belly laugh that creation has ever heard. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha! Think of it. He had to have laughed. Look, the story of Abraham and Sarah is your story. It's my story. It's all of our story. One way or another. And maybe right now, you've got stuff going on in your life that, that makes you laugh that cynical laugh. That cynical laugh, we laugh at ourselves and our own lives because we can't believe how terrible things are, things are going. You, you know what this story says to you if you're laughing that laugh right now? This story says that that's a real laugh, and it's an okay laugh, and it's a good laugh. But this story also says that God is faithful. That God is with you when you laugh that laugh. This story says that God is on your side. This story says that God can transform that cynical laugh into a laugh of uninhibited joy. We're heirs of the same promises. God promised to them and he promises to us. You and me together, we're blessed so that we can bless the world. You a blessing? Me a blessing? a blessing. Us together be a blessing to the world. God is commandeering us to help make a real actual difference, to make the world more like what God wants it to be. Look at us. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, if you look at us right now, we're not much to look at according to the world standards, are we? Look at us. And God wants to use us To transform our community come on man that's just funny but not impossible let's pray god thank you uh, for these stories thank you that that we can just sort of retell them and talk about them and and trust that somehow some way you'll you'll do what you do you show up and enter into this space and tweak our hearts and our minds. So God, whatever it is that you said to us this morning, whatever it is that we heard, we ask that you would continue to bless us, not for ourselves, but so that we can, so that we can actually bless the world. We want you to know this morning that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.